All right. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay on the Zoom? Perfect. I got a thumbs up from Sophia. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for having me today, you guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is Kayla Bucknell. I am the Assistant Director of Employer Engagement in the Office of Career Development here on campus. Um, I'm here to talk to you about the virtual College of Ag, Food, and Environmental Sciences Career Fair coming up on October 7th. Um, you've been receiving hopefully some emails from the college and from Handshake about that date and um, very important that you uh, try to attend anytime between that one and five time frame on next Wednesday. So if you guys have your laptops in, in class here on Zoom, you can try to follow along with me as well. But I'm going to walk you step by step on how to get in here and how to be very successful in this uh, virtual platform that we have. So the first thing I want you to do is um, go to sdstate.joinhandshake.com. And if you don't have your laptop or anything with, um, all these instructions will be sent out uh, via email. So just watch your email. So go to sdstate.joinhandshake.com. And once you get there, you're going to use your MyState username and password to log in, okay? Don't create an account. Use your MyState credentials. If you create an account, it will be a disaster. <laughs> so I'm going to log in here. I need to switch to a student profile. Just give me one second. All right, so when you log in, this is going to be your home screen of Handshake. Maybe some of you have been in there before, probably with signing up for if you're um, interviewing with companies already through the dairy science program, there's, that's going on in here as well. But to navigate to the career fair, you're going to hit um, events, and it'll say register for events and career fairs. You're going to hit that tab. You're going to scroll down to Ag, Food, and Environmental Sciences Career Fair. And if you guys would hit register, that will get you registered for the fair. All of the details that you need to know or instructions or directions or step-by-steps are all in here for you, okay? Um, it will explain it. So if you missed something that I said today, um, all of the resources are in here for you. Here's my contact information if you have any questions. Now to the real meat and the bones of the fair. We have 82 employers attending our virtual fair this year. You'll hit those 82 employers. You can search by them. They are listed in alphabetical order. You can do filters. You can search by location, et cetera. So for example, um, uh, Agripeer is attending. So if you want to learn more about their company, just hit, obviously. It's pretty intuitive once you get in there. So feel free to click around. This is their uh, employer profile on Handshake, okay? What is nice about Handshake, you guys, Handshake is a nationwide network. So the top universities in the country and us are using Handshake as their career software, career development software platform, okay? So that means 
you can connect with 36 students across the country that maybe have worked at AgriPeer and ask them some questions or learn more about their experiences, okay? You can see that they're attending our fair, um, some all of the other information for that company. They have reviews and interviews um, to talk about what, what that looks like at their company. Okay, so you're gonna first spend some time exploring the employers that you wanna visit with. I would encourage you to explore more than that you're just familiar with. <laughs> There's a lot of companies out there with a lot of opportunities. Maybe you don't know their name or know what they're about, but spend some time getting to know those ones that don't have that, that splashy name maybe. All right, so how are you going to connect with them the day of the fair? So you're gonna hit available sessions here, okay? This available sessions tab is going to show you what employers are doing that day. There's two types of ways to connect. There are group sessions and one-on-one -on -one sessions, okay? These group sessions are more like an information session. Um, a lot, up to 50 students can attend at a time. You can ask questions in there. They're gonna give you an overview of their company, what they're looking for in students, opportunities they have, those types of things. The one-on-one -on -one sessions are 10-minute conversations with that company's recruiter, hiring manager, HR person, whoever it may be, okay? Those 10-minute conversations are just like a conversation you would have at a normal fair, okay? Uh, you're gonna introduce yourself, probably tell them a little bit about yourself, and then you're gonna go back and forth and see maybe what, what the next step of the process is to explore more about what they have going on. What I would possibly do, this is, would be my strategy, I would attend that company's group session first to understand more about them, and then you can have a more productive conversation in that one-on-one -on -one session. So for example, Maybe you're going to attend um, a day in the life of an intern with AgriPeer at two o'clock. You're gonna hit that and you're gonna hit confirm here, okay? And it's gonna give you a little pop-up. I'm not gonna do that now because they don't wanna talk to me. <laughs> so then that's at two o'clock. And then you wanna have a one-on-one -on -one session with that recruiter. So you're gonna see here all of the representatives that they have attending. And so maybe you're gonna um, do a 2.40, right after that 2.30 group session, a 2.40 time slot with that company, and you're gonna hit confirm, another pop-up's gonna come up saying that you've signed up for that session with Kaylee at 2.40, okay? So you're gonna go through all of the employers that are attending and discover what they have open for that day. Now, to keep track of these, it's going to be under your sessions here. So all of the sessions that you have signed up for, whether group or one-on-one, -on -one, will be under the your sessions tab. We are hearing from other call or universities that they've had uh, a number of no-shows, okay? Uh, SDSU is better than that. <laughs> um, we, if you cannot attend to do everything in your power to cancel that and reach out to that recruiter. We don't want you to sign up for one-on-one -on -one sessions and not no-show um, because first of all, that's taking a time away from another student and that is not a good reflection on you and the university and the college, okay? So we're trying to avoid that as much as possible. So that is the thousand foot overview of the virtual fair format, all right? One other thing I wanna go through really quickly um, 
is your profile in Handshake. So if you go up here to the right-hand corner, you're gonna hit my profile. This is what recruiters are going to see that day, all right? So I would encourage you to add a photo. Um, this section here is about, just a little bit about yourself. It's called My Journey. You can edit that to whatever you'd like. Um, I just put something in there for example. Yours is gonna look a little bit different than mine. But I just introduced myself. I told them what my position is, my role, um, what I do in that. And then I just put a tiny bit of personal information in there as well. I'm passionate about rural communities, Peloton rides, my kids, and planning the next road trip, okay? Because uh, you are human, you have interests, so show them a, a little human side of you. Your education here, you may notice your graduation date is, is not correct. Um, our upload from the database to Handshake doesn't track graduation year, so if it's a little off, you can edit that graduation date. Volunteer and work experience, this is going to be the meat of your profile. You're going to want to what I would encourage you to do is if you have your resume updated, you're gonna build your profile faster this way. So you're gonna select a resume, you can upload a new one, but select one that you want and it's going to automatically fill all of this in for you so you don't have to spend time copying and pasting that or typing it into that field. All right, orgs and extra clickers, um, employers want to see those things. So if you are involved in anything, these are just examples I put in there. Um, you can please put those in this field. You can add courses and then projects. As juniors and seniors, I'm assuming you have some type of project. What is a project? Anything that you want it to be. <laughs> so whether that's maybe undergraduate research, um, past internship um, experience, um, maybe you're a part of an executive team, uh, uh, study abroad, whatever that is, you can add that under projects, okay? Skills, this, is, this was automatically done for me when I uploaded my resume. So that is the profile, your profile within Handshake. One more thing I want you to be aware of is the settings and privacy tab here. Please make sure your privacy is set as community, okay? So recruiters um, can see to see your profile. I will tell you, I've talked to a, um, a, several uh, recruiters that are attending. The virtual recruiting landscape has completely changed the game for them and for US candidates. They have incredible access to universities all throughout the country. So maybe they're not just attending Iowa State's and SDSU's and U of M's fair, they're going to the coast because they can access them through Handshake or other platforms. So the level of competition, I think, is going to be increased for you. Um, not to scare you, but I just want you to be prepared to put on your, your best foot forward in this type of environment, okay? We know you're talented students. We know you have the skills um, that they want to see or else they wouldn't register for our fair and come back year after year wanting to hire jackrabbits, okay? The other thing I would practice is that one-on-one -on -one session, that 10 minutes, that's not a very long time. So the very first question that they're probably going to ask you, I can bet 99.9% .9 of the time, is tell me about yourself, okay? So have that down. And maybe you practiced that before, but it's very simple. Hi, my name is Kayla Bucknell. I'm a senior. Um, 
whatever major at South Dakota State. This past summer, I did an internship at X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm involved in X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm originally from Clear Lake, South Dakota, and, you know, go in it to from there. So having that down, that little elevator pitch um, is going to be help you transition that conversation with them. Okay. I'm going to pause for a second and see if there are any questions that I can help answer. One thing I want you, I didn't pause, sorry. <laughs> One thing that I want you to be aware of that employers are still setting their schedules. So if you go in here under available sessions and you don't see the employer that you're looking for, they're still adding schedules. Um, they'll be adding schedules all the way probably up until the day of the fair. So keep checking back, okay? Yeah. Recording them? Yes, uh, unfortunately, no. Um, that's, yeah, that's not a feature within there. I wish it was, but it's, it's not. So um, what I could tell you is if you reach out to some companies and just explain that your situation, you know, I have lab and then I go to work, can we set up a time after the fair to connect? I think that would be very appropriate, so. Yes. Um, as soon as possible. So yeah, spend some time this weekend um, to get in there and explore. And you can keep adding. Your schedule is not set. Um, keep adding as you as you explore who you want to visit with. Okay. I know. I know. There's some companies that are getting a little anxious. They're like, "Oh, no one's signing up." I'm like, "Well, they're they're getting there. <laughs> uh, we're getting them in here and showing them what we have." So. Anything else? Anything, any to the students on Zoom? Any questions that I can help with? If not, I think my time is up. I said 15 minutes and I wanna be respectful of that. So I'm just gonna go ahead and sign out. Um, and please pay attention to your emails um, from us, from the college and from Handshake in these next couple of days. So you'll probably get sick of seeing them, but we wanna make sure you get the message, so. Yeah, thank you guys. Okay, um, next week I sent a news item out, labs next week. We're going to go through individually and do a safety audit in the Davis Dairy plant and come up with an egress plan. If you need to be able to go or attend a session or two for the career fair during what would normally be your Wednesday time slot, one to three, 
you can show up then Thursday from 11 to 1 or Friday afternoon from 2 to 4. Those are the three time slots that I've okayed. So John and Aki are expecting people to be wandering around out there. But you're not fixed to Wednesday if you need to be able to fill in some schedule and make some good contacts at the career fair. But try not to have 27 people show up at three o'clock Friday afternoon because that's probably not gonna work well either. Okay? But I'm not gonna say you have to be here Wednesday afternoon at one o'clock if you would be better served by being online talking to someone at that career fair and you have the availability to show up on Thursday or Friday. Does that work for you? Okay. We were talking. How detailed are you? As you walk around, based on your comfort level of things and the things that you're used to looking for, you may be able to do a walkthrough in 15 minutes and then go take notes. You may decide that it takes you longer to look at everything and it may take you an hour and a half, but each person will have, based on their experience, what they're, they've seen related to where they worked before, it's gonna take you a different amount of time. Just why it makes no sense to have everybody show up and force you to all stay a certain amount of time because you're not gonna see or you're not gonna be concerned about the same things. What's interesting to me is to find out what you are concerned about that one of you is extremely concerned about and somebody else never even noticed it, right? Safety issues come up interestingly. Things like which door is locked when it shouldn't be? Or can you even find the fire extinguishers? Is there a clear path to the safety shower? Some people never consider that. Some, that's the first thing they write down. It's entirely up to you, okay? But that's how we're gonna do lab next week. So during the time you choose to do that, show up. If you work in the plant, put on your plant clothes. If you don't, put on proper PPE as outlined as far as the smock, shoe coverings, hairnet, beard net, before you go out there. And if you're taking notes, you cannot have a wooden pencil because it's wood. You can have a mechanical pencil, you can have a pen, but you can't have a wooden pencil. It's one of those weird twists, right? Just pay attention to that. But any time during those potential six hours, you're free to go do your audit next week. Okay? So we were talking about this, the duties of a safety officer, I believe. Does that seem familiar in any, in any regard? So let me refresh my brain, where was I? Okay, so one of the things the safety officer is looking at was overall work conditions. 
Are machine guards in place? What's the conditions of the floor? Are there safe stairs? One of the things that, I mean, how often do we have stairs in this facility out here? There's one place, that's the dryer tower, right? So if those stairs are properly cleaned, they should be safe. But if they haven't been properly cleaned, if there's anything actually on the stairs, they could become a slip hazard. Those are the types of things you need to look for. Um, are the tools safe? Are they the correct tools? Don't try and use a pipe wrench when you should be using a fitted socket and a breaker bar because a pipe wrench will pop off and when you are pushing with that amount of force, whatever you can do, all of a sudden you crack your knuckles into something. Now you've got blood pouring out all over, you know. You could have resolved that whole issue by using the correct tools. So those are the kind of things we want to look about all along the way. What's the layout of this facility? Can I get from point A to B without a lot of cross traffic? Am I going to be able to move around without having to worry about where the fork trucks are versus the personnel traffic, right? Does the layout make sense? Am I going to potentially minimize cross-contamination issues because of the layout? And if it doesn't make any sense, what can we do to address it, right? Lighting. Believe it or not, there are regulations for sufficient levels of lighting depending upon the process. How many of you have worked in a facility where there were cheese plants up or cheese vats up on a deck? Okay. Have you ever been underneath that cheese deck? Is it bright down there or is it kind of dim? What? As long as they remember to have the lights on. But if they don't have the lights on, and that's one that forget, because nobody is typically down there. But if anybody does have to go down there, and the lights aren't on, and you're just going for the ambient, that's a safety hazard, because you cannot see the things that may be in the way. Uh, so adequate lighting. Always something to consider. People have things laying around. Is the ventilation system working? You don't want to work, you don't want to have your employees working in an area where the exhaust fans are not on. Okay. Imagine if you're up on the top of the dryer tower and it's 140 degrees up there because the dryer's running at 300 and some degrees, but the exhaust fans quit. That's not safe for anybody, right? So all of the things that you have to look for and then make sure if they're not under specifically your locus of control, as the safety officer, you have enough 
authority to have that addressed. When you mention to maintenance, the exhaust fans aren't on in the dryer tower, they should react to that, not go, yeah, I know, it's fine. No, it's not fine. But if the authority had been properly granted by top level management who bought into the safety program, then you shouldn't be having issues. Probably not going to have all of you become professionals related to building codes. You're gonna hope that there's someone in your company who's a civil engineer or an electrical, or you've got an architect on re retainer to make sure that the codes are met. But if you see something that doesn't really make sense to you, you should ask, is this legal? Hypothetical, well, not a hypothetical, a real situation. You look at utility put in a facility. Would you put the steam line and then the hot water line, then the cold water line, and then the electrical run, top to bottom? You want your electrical on top. That makes sense, right? If your building was constructed prior to 1965, code had it the other way around. It had electrical on the bottom. I've been in these plants and you, it's kind of spooky, but they were up to proper code at the time of construction. But does that mean we should leave it that way? Probably not. the control panels on the sidewalls of your process facility. Are they truly washed down? Do you know what I mean by that? That if you were to have a pipe fitting break or you took and you're foaming the environmental and that gets on the control panel, it doesn't short it out. That's what you want. There are lots of places in industry where that may have been true initially, but who's checked the seals on the panels to make sure that they're still sealed and washed down? Because that stripping around the door seal gives out. It wears out over time. 10 years down the road from the install, you may no longer have a seal. You go by foaming just like you've done for years, and suddenly as the foam runs down the wall, it runs inside the panel instead of over the top, and you short the whole panel out. Hopefully, you don't have anybody touching the panel at the time so that you electrocute them. But things don't stay up to code forever you have to keep verifying as the safety officer. And if you yourself don't know enough, find somebody else in your team who can make sure 
I'm still up to fire code or I'm still up to building code for electrical, for ventilation, any of those things to keep your employees safe. The U.S. Department of Labor figures out safety statistics. The way they report them is very unrealistic if you're a small operation. If you've only got 50 employees and they're reporting frequency rates in lost time injuries per million employee hours worked, how many employees do you need to have in your company to get a million employee hours worked in a year? The average employee works 2,080 hours in any given year. So I need 500 employees to get to that. If one of them gets injured, one employee out of my 500 in a given year. So if I'm a small company, even one injury in a year makes my frequency rate look huge. But that's the federal level. Now, if I had 600 employees, you know, I've got one injured, well, it doesn't look like a much frequency rate. But if I've only got 50 employees and I injure one, it's going to appear to be much higher because my sampling pool is so much smaller. But that's a federal statistic. It's reported for manufacturing entities, for classes of manufacturing, whether it's a food process facility, a cannery, a meat packing facility, all the different labor classes will have safety statistics reported on that same criteria. Lost time injury per million employee hours worked. Severity rate, days lost. A lost time injury could be as simple as having your finger stuck in something and it gets crushed, right? So you end up going to the emergency room and two hours later you're back with a finger splint but you're still doing your job. That's a lost time injury. Are you gone the whole day? No. But if you ended up breaking your leg and you can't report back to work for two and a half weeks, now we've got 17 days charged against that in injury instead of no full days, but an actual lost time. Two different things. Does that make sense? We don't ever really want to have anything on this. We would like to have our facility have no severe injuries reported. We're going to have some lost time. A lot of times you'll see as an incentive in a facility, they'll have in a break room or something days since last. And sometimes a place will make it an entire year. 
And sometimes they can't make it three weeks. But they start over again and then they start marking off the days. Because, you know, at 100 days, they might feed everybody. It, it gives another layer of incentive to motivate your employees to try and not have those lost time injuries. Any questions so far about safety and safety statistics in the safety officer? Okay, and we're gonna shift gears. We're gonna move from talking about safety and consideration of the things that OSHA might be wanting us to think about to records. If it's not written down, it never happened. That is the mantra. We have to have a record. How we keep those records, which ones we keep, how long we keep them, there's going to be different requirements. But not keeping them at all does no one any good because we've lost all control. So virtually every activity in a dairy plant operation or a food process facility, a meat packing facility, whatever you're involved in, has some type of record keeping involved. Everything we do from recording the results every two hours of the pH on a specific vessel, maybe the temperature of that vessel, also the pressure, to what was the microbial count on this sample for this day. All of those things are going to become a data point. We can have thousands of data points in a given day, right? What do we do with all this stuff? Does anybody go back and look at it? Sometimes. Hopefully a little more than sometimes, but we have to have a way minimally, minimally we must keep records sufficient to be able to answer the question of our regulatory officers. That's the minimum. Because we are a grade A facility, or we're a USDA facility, there's a basic minimum that we have to meet. That's not really that high a bar. To say that you hold FDA status or USDA status to operate, there's, there's some baseline things there. Are you going to be a exceptionally efficient operation? Maybe not. But you have to have enough records to answer their questions whenever they ask. That question may be, who did you sell this product to and how much of it, right? On 
Friday the 2nd of October, how many gallons of vanilla ice cream did you produce at the Davis Dairy Plant? Well, the answer is pretty simple to that one. Zero, because we don't make ice cream on a Friday. We know that, but we need to have a record somewhere that shows that that's what's going to be true. The market administrator. Does anybody know what the milk market administrator is? There is an actual person with an actual job. Do you want that job? It isn't that bad. As long as you uh, have some capacity to understand lots and lots of data. Because every producer who brings milk in to be sold in a market area, that data is all in there. Every processor who makes whatever the product is, all gets compiled. It's a central clearinghouse for all that data. The milk market administrator wants you to know how much milk did you receive this month? What products did you make? How much of your milk can you account for? Did you have a half a percent shrink? Did you have a 2% shrink? Did you have a 5% shrink? If you had a 5% shrink, why? What's the reason? Because to just magically have 5% of the incoming raw materials not actually end up in an end product can do tremendous skewing of the final market, right? They're trying to at least know where something went so they can answer questions and there can be some level of control maintained. So milk market administrator, Ashley. The milk market administrators will use data from the trade to establish parts of their price structuring formula to figure out your mailbox price. Yeah, it's them. So are they strictly futures? No. Are they definitely cash trade daily? Yes. They need to know where all of that went so that they can discern which product lines were being made in greater volumes, which weren't, where should the value be assigned? so that we come up with some level of equity as far as where, how we're remunerating for raw materials and what we know the market's carrying. Producer, producer associations. The co-op wants to know, what did you do with all the milk we sold you, right? Seems fair. Because they may have a pricing structure, an incentive structure back for their patrons based on where things went. So all of these folks are interested in what you've been doing. Now, there are some things they don't need to know about your operation, right? You need to be able to know which <clears throat> items of data go to which places. They're not necessarily universal.
Records need to be consistently updated. To wait until the end of the week and then try and backfill saying, oh, let's see, we made 40,000 units of this product on, I think it was Monday, maybe it was Tuesday, right? How accurate are you when you wait to fill the records back in? You're not accurate at all. At the end of the day, you should be able to have a very clear summary, raw materials used, products made, inventory control. But if you're waiting, no one has any way to make decisions based on delay. Limited to those that can be kept accurately and will be used. That's become less and less of an issue because we have digitized so much of the industry that our challenge is not having the records, it's sorting through all of the data points to find the ones that we really need to have to make a decision. Instead of relying on our operator to write down the temperature of the freezer, the start of their shift and the end of their shift, we now can have a digital record we could pull up and do the by the minute profile for the entire day. It's not that we don't have the data, but what's the storage of that data and is it in a format that we can easily retrieve and use? That's important because if you can't get to it, how do you use it to make a decision? Does the data make its, the decisions itself? No. There's still an individual, at least to this point, who makes the decision. We haven't gotten to the artificial intelligence point that the computers, all of the probes, the pH probes, the temperature probes, the pressure sensors in the facility, we haven't gotten to the point where they're all da gathering data and then making the decision on that themselves and doing all of the corrections. Now we're getting closer. Do we want that? Maybe. But at some point right now, we still have a person has to look at that and figure out what's going on. How do you wade through all of that stuff? So limited to what's useful accurately, they should be simple. Simple enough that your operator understands why that data is being kept. Now, as I say, more and more of it's becoming automatically collected. You're relying less upon an individual operator to remember to write a value down on a table. But in a QC lab, Someone still has to remember to input the results of the tests, the analyses, into the spreadsheet. Or the spreadsheet becomes invalid because there's missing data. Right? 
that has to be practical enough that it isn't become cumbersome that you can't be properly accomplished in a reasonable time frame. If you're doing 400 analyses in your lab in a day and the data input time to get the 400 of those into the system takes you another four or five hours, is your system practical or maybe needs some revision? Because if you're taking a half of someone's shift simply doing the data entry for everyone else's stuff, does that make sense? The records need to be practical and simple enough that you can use them to generate a decision tree. So we have to have sufficient for state and federal compliance. That's uh, the basic. Traceability. Traceability is the biggie. If I choose to have all of the data related to the temperature profile of my raw milk silo gathered and stored electronically, that's okay. But if the power goes off and the system resets to zero, and I no longer have a record of the temperature profile in that vessel across the one day, the three day, the seven day period, I'm in violation. Because when regulatory shows up, they will go back through till the last time they were there. They will look at temperature profiles for products stored in any vessel. They'll look at temperature profiles for pasteurization issues. And the excuse that my computer crashed is invalid. There has to be a traceability. And if that traceability involves having multiple electronic methods, that's okay. Redundancy has to occur, whether it's a paper copy, an electronic copy, two electronic copies. If you have two, they should not be stored in the same place. The use of external has become more commonplace. There's a security issue potentially in that, in that if someone is going to hack a server farm and get into your confidential business information for your company, and that information is also required for regulatory and they change it, who is now still responsible? You. So you need to have a way to make certain that what happened, you can validate and it has not in any 
fashion left your locus of control. And that's the trickiest part now, is making sure it hasn't left your locus of control. It seems simple to send it out to the cloud, but then it's actually lost your locus, left your locus of control. It would be like saying that in court, you're trying to prove that someone had a blood alcohol content above the 0.08, but the sample vials do not have a continuous signatory going from who collected them to the analytical lab to where if all of those are not maintained, then even if the person's blood alcohol was 0.2 instead of 0.08, they cannot be found as guilty because you cannot prove without a reasonable doubt that that was actually their sample. And that's where this record stuff, I mean, we, we try not to go there, but sometimes in the products we make, especially in the food industry, someone's going to come back and say, oh, I found this in your product. Well, within the time that it was within my locus of control, it was not there. That's what you have to be able to hang your hat on when you go to litigation. So your records have to be able to back you up. We're out of time. Make sure you sign up on Handshake. Try and get in at least a couple of sessions or some connections for that career fair. Um, I know it's gonna be a challenge, 341 lab. I don't know what you're doing, but for 421 lab, at least I've given you a little leeway for the plant inspections for the safety part. Have a good weekend.